0: Hey, guys, you know what? After that last song, what I wanted to do was applaud. Can we just do that and worship? Woo! Man. I just, um, I can't sing like that, but, man, I can applaud. And I just was busting. And then Dan goes into a prayer. Like, (laughs) praying is awesome. But, uh, man, that was great. And uh, just, it was all together there. So that was incredible. Uh, You know, I was sitting there also just sweating. Like, I don't know if it's a topic. I don't know if it's like the temperature in this room, uh, but finally the air came on. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. So here we go today. Um, We're in this series that we've been in for a few weeks called Significant Other. And in this series, we've been talking about dating. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about relationships all the way through that. And today we're going to be talking, yes, about sex, which, you know, it's one of those topics that the world knows all about, they think, and talks about, but the church doesn't talk a lot about it. And it's not that I want to give this talk, to be honest with you, Uh, but I think this time the church talked about the things that affected people's lives more than anything. this is a big, big issue, all right? And I want to be sensitive because I understand it's a very sensitive subject. It's one that comes up a lot, and it's one that people get hurt by a lot. It's one that people are hurting right now a lot about. And so I don't want to be insensitive at all, and I'm going to talk about the ideal without any condemnation of anywhere that any of us have been. We're going to talk about what God has in mind and what works best the way God has designed us. All right, so that's kind of where I'm going to go today, and please understand my heart, my spirit as we jump into this topic. You know, I was reading an interesting article the other day about songbirds, and you know me, I'm not, I'm not an animal guy at all, and I'm not a bird guy either, all right? Um, but uh, I thought it was interesting about these finches, finches and about their courtship, how it happens. So Here's how it happens. The young males, when they're born, they listen to the song of their fathers, and then they imitate that song and perform it to attract a mate. I well, if you knew that's what they were doing when, when they're singing out there. The young females also listen to the song of their fathers, but the females do not sing. They do not perform themselves. Instead, what the female does is she analyzes, compares the songs of potential mates to that of her father to see if that suitor Is a valid mate. Isn't that interesting? She's got an example in the father, and she listens to the the guys sing to see how how valid they might be. They seem to prefer elaborate songs with many syllables. Guys, we get this, right? Women, you know, they want a little bit extra. You know, no flat tones going to work for them, all right? Okay, this decision is important though because they mate for life. So as I was reading that, I thought, well, there's some good examples or takeaways from that probably the one that struck me the most was a father's example and influence is very important to both girls and boys. Very important. Secondly, good communication really is important in courtship, right? And then the third thing is it's okay to be called a bird brain when it comes to the courtship, all right? Doesn't make a lot of rhyme or reason, you know, it just, it just works. But, but you know, in our world today, it's kind of crazy and kind of shallow about the questions that people are answer, asking. Questions like, "How do I attract a mate? Uh, what is a good first date? How do, could, do, can I improve my sex life?" These are like the Doctor Phil and Doctor Oz questions. That you walk through the line, you see the cover of Men's Health and Cosmetology magazine, and, and these are what you know jump out at you. These are the big questions that people are asking. Well, in the series uh, that we're in here, we've been asking different questions, and what I would like to think are much better questions. In the first week, we asked what? We asked, what does it mean to be in a relationship with someone? And what are the needs of a man and the needs of a woman? And you can go back and listen to these online if you want to. Last week, we talked about who. We asked the question, who? Who should you be in a relationship with? And what are the levels of intimacy that you should share with that person? We talked about physical attraction, intellectual attraction. We talked about emotional attraction. And then we said that God's ultimate plan is that there be a spiritual connection. That it not just be physical or emotional or or anything like that, but that the highest level of intimacy that we can share with someone is the spiritual lever. And that's why the Bible says that we need to to find someone who's a believer that shares our faith in making that that decision. Now, today we're going to ask the question, when? The question, when? And that's a pretty important question, isn't it? When should things happen in a relationship? When is something due? When is something premature? When is something appropriate, timely in your relationship? And so we might as well jump right into the whole idea of sex, all right? Not put it off, okay? That's a pretty important subject in relationships. And the wind stretches anywhere from before you even know who this person is, all the way to reserving sex for marriage. And what we discover today is that our world has really messed up the win when it comes to sex. We really got it in the wrong place. I was reading an article the other day about what teenagers think about sex, about what is normal in our world today, and what is expected in our world today about sex. And I want to tell you, there are some messed up views out there, especially about young men. When it comes to pornography and what porn says about what women want, No wonder there's sexual assault. No wonder there's the problems that we have today. Our world is messed up. And our kids are messed up because of that. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, sex is like it's a worldly thing, and surely the Bible doesn't talk about sex. You would be amazed to see how much there is in the Bible about sex. In fact, I'm going to share a lot of you. As I was reading this, I was like, man, there is a lot in the Bible that I hadn't even thought about collectively what the Bible says about this big topic. And in the Bible, the word for about sex is not the word no. The word in the Bible is not bad. It's not don't. It's the word "when," That's the key word when the Bible talks about sex. Because you see, God designed sex, God created sex, and it's not just a good thing, it is also a God thing. Sex was created as a part of his design and desire for our lives. Yes, God wants you to have sex, but win is very important. Here's what it says in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Then the Lord God made a woman and he brought her to the man, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So in the very beginning, God said, it's not good for a a man to be alone. You know, he needs a, a mate. He needs a partner. And so we know how in the garden, God made Eve alongside of Adam and gave them to each other. And you know what? There was sex in the garden There was naked, they were naked, it was raw, they were open, they were free about their sexuality, and they had no shame. That's the big thing. If you look, there was no shame until sin came into the world. And then there was shame. When sex becomes sin, it brings about shame, right? So you see, sex, according to God's plan, is not dirty, it's not shameful, it's not wrong. It was meant as a gift to a man and a woman who are committed in marriage. Sex was meant as a gift to a man and a woman who are committed in marriage. That's a key statement in our discussion today. And the Bible talks a lot about that in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Hello. I mean, it gets better or worse or whatever your point of view the further you go, so I'm stopping right there, okay? God created sex not only for procreation, but also for pleasure, also for intimacy. And you know, we've been talking about intimacy here throughout this discussion. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Did you notice it says it is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact? That connects with what we said last week about spiritual intimacy being the deepest level of intimacy that we can experience. And sex is the ultimate unifier, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There is a deep and mystical part of, of how God makes two people one. It's not just an act, there is a coming together that God joins two people together, the ultimate consummation of a relationship, the supreme expression of intimacy, the highest level of emotional unity. You know, what's happened to our world today is that we've taken sex and we've thrown it down here and we walk all over it. And God created sex to be held high and valued. That's the problem that we have in our world today. Sex is a powerful thing, isn't it? And because it has that kind of power, it needs the safety, the boundaries, and the holiness of marriage to protect it from wounding us deeply. That's where it needs to reside. That's where it needs to be kept. That's where God designed it because it's so powerful. You see, sex, apart from marriage and commitment, is dangerous, degrading, wounding, and even mocking. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. And let's define what that is because the Bible does. What is that sex that leaves us lonelier than we were before, the kind of sex that can never become one? The Bible says that's premarital sex, that it calls fornication, extramarital sex that it calls adultery, and homosexuality. That's the damaging sex that God never intended for us to have. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. The Bible is just so clear, and it says a lot about it. And it tells us that God designed sex to be shared only in marriage, where there is the deepest nature of commitment and intimacy And when it is separated from that, it stops being pure and wonderful. In fact, only in marriage can the level of emotional union, the level of relational bonding that sex was designed to bring, only there can it take place without there being a gross violation and a wholesale cheapening of sex. Because when it is violated in this way and misused and cheapened, it stops being sex and it becomes sin. That to me are powerful words. I wish they were mine, but but those are powerful words, aren't they? Because that defines where we are today in our world. It's wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, In sexual sin we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Another version says the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God lives inside of us, in our heart. That our body is the literal temple of God's Holy Spirit. And when we sin and violate these parameters God's have given, then we are sinning against not only God and the other person, but also against ourself internally. You know, those are strong words, but i got to be honest, sex is powerful. It is a powerful thing. It, someone said it's like fire. I hadn't thought about that, but it really is. In the proper setting, fire is awesome. It brings about warmth and safety and intimacy and wonder and productivity. I mean, you can do a lot with fire. But when fire gets out of control, out of its place, it destroys. It burns, it hurts, it devastates. And that's how sex is. But when it's in its rightful place, it's a very positive and productive thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to look at the life cycle of a relationship and we're going to answer the question when, because that really is the question for the day, when we're going to try to answer that. And so we're going to look at a little graph or a little uh, picture, I guess, that will come up here in a moment, and we're going to talk about the different stages of a relationship, all right? So we're going to begin where everybody begins. This is when you're single, and, and for our talk, this is when you're really single. I mean, you're not dating one person. You'd like to be dating someone, but you're not dating someone. And on Facebook, you, you, you put single, all right? All right? That's how you know that today. The second part is dating. When you're dating somebody, you're dating one person. It's not really an understanding, but you think you might have found the right person, so you're not looking anymore. Now you're dating this one person, not dating around, but dating one person. And then the third level, I don't know, it's gonna sound antique and I don't even know what to say, but when my day it used to be going steady, right? <laughs> I know that's not anymore. My kids, I think it may be going out. Is it going out? Somebody might help. Because my kids just say, Hey, we're going out now. I'm like, where are you going? No, no, we're going out. That. Is more of a commitment. All right, but this steady point is where your Facebook status changes. Now you're in a relationship. Some of you, that's uh, the terms we have to figure. So you're dating this person exclusively. You're concentrating on one relationship. And by the way, each of these stages can can last for some time. You know, they could be compressed or they could last for some time based on the people in the relationship. So here's the third, uh, the fourth level is engagement. Engagement. Now you're engaged. You have a formal engagement. Usually you have a ring, you know, and now on Facebook, it's she said yes or I said yes, all right? In our Facebook world, we got to define that. But there's a proposal, a ring, a commitment to share life together. You know what I've noticed today? Engagements are bigger than what marriages used to be. Anybody else notice that? You know, my daughter got, uh, got engaged a while back. And uh, I mean, there was engagement shower, there's engagement parties, engagement pictures, engagement gifts. I'm not giving you anything to be engaged. You got a ring, you know? I don't get that, all right? I mean, some of us, you know, maybe some of you stood up in front of a judge somewhere and, you know, it was over in five minutes. You know, that's longer, that's shorter than, than some engagements really are, all right? So that's a little bit crazy, but at any rate, that's where we are today in our world, engagement. But it, it's a commitment thing. And then the the next level is marriage, and that's going to be a a service of some sort, usually a public service, not always. But today in our world, we're more concerned about the wedding than we are about the marriage. That's part of our problem, and that's why people go broke getting married. Amen. Preach it, you know. The father of three three daughters, I've been preaching this for years (laughs) and trying to convince my kids of that whole thing, you know. Uh, they tell me today that the average wedding is thirty thousand dollars. I know it's ridiculous, right? I, I know of a of a couple that that um, cashed in their four hundred one k to marry their daughter, and it lasted a year. I knew of a guy that spent forty thousand dollars to get married, and it lasted three months, and then he and the ex uh, fought over who would pay for it after that. I talked to a guy the other day. <laughs> Who had spent $96,000 on his daughter's wedding and he had to refinance his house to do so. Guys, I want to tell you, people are crazy when it comes to spending money on this. But here's the statistic that all dads of daughters need to know. Statistically, the less you spend on the wedding, the longer the marriage will last. The less you spend, the longer it will last. So that's why I tell my kids, you know, we're not going to spend much because I want you guys to last a long, long time, all right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, some dads you can keep that in mind. All right, but anyway, that's a pretty normal cycle that we have right there. I mean, that's nothing new or anything that, that, that you haven't seen before. But, but how do things play out today? Because there are some elements that we're going to add to this relationship, some things we're going to throw in here. Uh, three big things in relationship, commitment, sex, and kids so let's see what the bible says about each of these things and where do we what column do we place them in and we're going to start with commitment well commitment begins i think with engagement and then it's consummated in marriage so we're going to put commitment over a uh, engagement there because if you're engaged you better be committed don't be dating around or looking for somebody else if you are engaged if you aren't ready to make a commitment then don't pop the question or say yes or whatever it may be but at marriage, it's, it's consummated when you say, I will be faithful to you alone, so long as you both shall live, till death do us part. So there's some level of, uh, of commitment, maybe in going steady, uh, we might back up a little bit, but when you are engaged, it's exclusive. So that's where we put commitment. All right, where do we put sex? I think we've already talked about that. The Bible puts sex firmly only in the marriage column, not in the engaged not column, it's in the sex column. That's where we're going to put it. It's so where the Bible does, it's where we're going to leave it. And then the third element is kids. Where do kids come along? Well, it's pretty obvious for most of us that after the kids come along after sex. And so the Bible says that children are to be in a marriage. So this is how it should look. This is the ideal. This is not my theory, even though I agree. This is what the Bible says about it, the blueprint that God designed. And there's a good reason for that. It it all works out. It it all fits uh, if you look at how they they flow together. And let me just take a moment and say, since sex is the ultimate unifier, and we put it in marriage, let's leave it there. And the parameters got it set. So let's take just a little detour and say, okay, if it's only in marriage, when in marriage, since we're asking the question when, right? When in marriage, and the word is often, often. The Bible says that sex provides... (laughs) You all are stunned at that (laughs) simple word. All right, the Bible says that sex provides intimacy, pleasure, procreation, and protection for you and your spouse. I don't know if you ever thought about all of those things, but but all of them, intimacy, pleasure, procreation, and protection. 1 Corinthians 7 says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty." Marital duty? Is that what it says? Amen. amen. (laughs) "...to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife." So when you agree to marry somebody, and God makes you one, you are one, and you kind of give up your own you know, uh, freedom because you've given yourself to somebody. That's what the Bible says. And it says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. So it seems to be saying that prayer and fasting are probably the only thing that should keep you guys from being engaged as husband and wife, sexually, all right? Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's the protection part that the Bible tells us. Wow, that's a gift to us. That's powerful, isn't it? So that's the plan. That's the model. But you know what? We've kind of messed it all up. We've messed it up. And I'm going to take a moment and show you what we've done, how we've messed it up, and how the problems come. Here's Here's how it works. It all starts when we take sex, because sex is the most powerful thing on the screen. Maybe you ought to be in bigger letters because it's powerful, right? It all starts when we put it in the wrong place because I think this slide shows it. The world takes it out of the married column and it puts it here. It's a little dark over there, but yeah, it shows up. It's over in the single column. That's how we've messed it up, all the way back to singleness. You know, 10 years ago, we're told that 55% of singles said they had sex on the first date, the first date. By the third date, almost everybody said they'd had sex, kind of Shocking, but this is 10 years later, 10 years later. Today, we're told that 34%, I don't know if I can believe this, but it's pretty credible, 34% of people have sex before the first date. And in fact, millennials would say that 48% of them would try to have or would have sex before the first date. Now, you say, well, how, did, how does that even work? I don't know, but, but basically, they have what they call sex interviews, And in our world today of efficiency, the thought is, you know what? I don't want to know if I even want to waste my time with this person, so let's just have sex to see how it works. That's the world we're living in today, guys. That's the philosophy that's out there. Today we're told that 88% of singles are sexually active. And that statistics are not a lot of different between those who call themselves Christians. So let me just say this, if you are a single person and you are not sexually active, I want to commend you. I want to encourage you to remain pure. Please do that. We want to encourage you just because we know what God's plan is. At the moment, it seems hard, but God has a plan and His plan works. So we got sex in the singles column. What about kids? Well, guess what? They too moved to the singles column because when you have sex, you often have kids. Today, more than half of the births born to women under 30 are outside marriage. It's a new more normal, to be honest with you. Today, there are more people living uh, together unmarried, more single parents, more single-parent children than ever before. Let me just say this. I know some great single parents who do a great job with their kids, so I'm not knocking on single parents at all. Sometimes it's not even your choice to do that. In many cases, it's not your choice at all. I understand that, so there's no criticism here. But the data clearly shows today... That on average, children who are raised in stable homes with both parents do better than those raised in divorced home, whose parents never married. The areas of social mobility, higher levels of poverty, almost everything there's a bigger chance of it on the average when it's not a two-parent home. And I know that's the ideal. That's not it's not reality in a lot of cases. But but just to be encouraged by that, so we move kids over there, and then commitment is gone. Commitment is gone. That's pretty evident by by the divorce rate in our world today, uh, the lack of people being willing to to get married. Marriage is way down uh, because people just aren't getting married anymore. So I just want to encourage you uh, and say, you know what, it sounds like a lot of bad news, but I don't want it to be bad news at all. I want to ask the question here, what can we do about this? What can we do about this? Well, God has a plan and God has a vision for relationships. And what I think is, is awesome is that we can be the generation, we can be the ones who reclaim and restore God's original vision. That would be my challenge to you, that if you want to walk with Jesus, why don't you say, I want to look at what God says, and I want that for my life. I want to reclaim and restore that. I want to make that right. About sex and kids and commitment, all of them are great, but none of them are God, what God wants them to be if they're taken out of the place where God puts them. So maybe you're here today and things have not been perfect in your life. What do you do if you move the places and the wind around for these things, especially sex, which, by the way, drives the other two? Well, if you have been or you are currently active outside of marriage, doesn't matter if you've never been married or if you've been divorced, I want to encourage you to renew renew yourself to abstinence. I want to encourage you to do that. Reclaim your second virginity. You can do that with God's grace and God's healing. Maybe even though you cross the line, you can make a comeback. You can get back into the plan that God has for your life. Because I want to tell you, God is a God of grace and second chances, a God of forgiveness and restoration of new beginnings and fresh starts. In first John chapter one, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God can reclaim what we have lost. God can restore what maybe we've given away. And God can heal what is broken and what is wounded. And the things we're talking about today can wound us deeply. So I want to encourage you if that's where you are. Maybe you're here today and you've been through a rough time, not of your own choosing or maybe of your own. If you're divorced, you know that it was a sin there. I want to encourage you to seek forgiveness and seek a new beginning a new beginning, and then commit to live a life of purity in your heart, body, and mind. Because I want to tell you, this is a great place, grace place, and a great place too. But it's a grace place. It really is. Nobody's looking around trying to see who's done what because all of us are looking inward knowing what we've done. We all know our sin. We all know our brokenness. And we're not going to judge you because we're gonna, we love you and we're going to walk with you through the healing And you can be restored, and through his grace and mercy, you can restore his plan for intimacy, sex, commitment, and experience his blessing on your life. Because there's a win for everything. You know, what I think is the most amazing is that Jesus loved us so much that he chose a win. The Bible says that when we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. Christ died for us in our brokenness. And so if you are here and maybe you're feeling some of the burden of that, maybe some of the things we talked about today you've never even heard before or thought about because our world doesn't talk about them. You don't even know what the ideal plan was. But maybe you've heard today what truth is from God's Word and you are convicted. And if you are, don't let that be a painful thing other than to say, I want God's will for my life. And understand that Jesus doesn't condemn you, even the woman who was taken in adultery. They brought her and drug her before Jesus. Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I think that's what he does to all of us, regardless of the type of sin that we have in our life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, and thank you for our topic, as difficult as it is. God, it's hard for us sometimes to understand your plan when we have the world sending all sorts of mixed messages. Lord, I pray for our young people. I pray that they would be wise and that they would... Use discernment and your wisdom when it comes to making decisions about, um, about when. And God, I pray that, that all of us as adults, maybe even those of us who have years of experience, good and bad, that God, we would be challenged to reaffirm your plan, what, what the right timing is, when something is due, when it's right, when it's wrong. That God, we would submit to your authority, knowing when we do so, that only when you're in your will can we discover your blessing and the joy that comes by being obedient. God, we love you. We worship you. We thank you more than anything that Jesus came to us right where we are, just as we are, that you receive us. Lord, we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.